Hey guys, thank you for watching online all over the world. We are honored that you would watch LifePoint Church Services. Our mission statement around here is pointing people to a Christ-centered life, and we want to hear how that's happening through these sermons. So we would love for you to reach out to us through Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and tell us how God is moving in your life. Also, if you're a part of this service, but, but you're not close to a local campus, we want to help you get connected to a local body. Please reach out to us, and we will recommend some great churches in your area for you to be a part of. Again, thank you for being a part of LifePoint Church Online, and we hope God blesses you. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Exodus 16 and 17. Uh, and again, just we are in this Exodus series. We've been doing this in the summer. We're going to try to wrap up the book of Exodus this summer, which means we are flying. We're like uh, a, a wave runner on the lake, just hitting the high spots. I mean, we're, we're wide open on this thing. And, uh, and so I encourage you, I'm not going to be reading every scripture to you. So if you've got the app, uh, get the reading plan. It's on there. It'll take you through the book of Exodus, uh, through every word of the book of Exodus. And so that would be a, just a great uh, thing for, for you to read through as we go along. Uh, it's a pretty um, reasonable pace, the reading plan. So I think you can knock it out pretty easily. Uh, but, but I encourage you to do that. And, uh, and, uh, uh, but today we're in, in 16 and 17, chapter 16 and 17. And try to focus today because I know you're, th no, no, you're only thinking about the Preds game. And I get that, right? And so in the middle of my sermon, at some point, I'm just going to hit you with the fang fingers and see who's awake. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, I know you're pumped about Subban whooping up on Crosby tonight, getting, it, getting, it back, getting him back and all that, yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, I was just, a couple weeks ago, I talked about just the Preds in general and how uh, it has become this evangelistic thing uh, for us that the, that the tidal wave of fandom has spread throughout, right? Like, I don't know if you remember, but the Preds came to Nashville in 98. And in um, and, and, and 98, Nashville was not a hockey city, right? Like, we, we were ignorant to the ways of hockey. We didn't know what icing was. We didn't know what are these blue lines. We, we only went to games to watch fighting, Right? That's the only reason we're like, yes, that's cool. They beat each other up. They don't get in trouble for it. Let's go watch it, right? And so that's what you, we went to hockey games. And I don't know if you remember this, but a couple years in, like the city began begging people to say, hey, come on out. We'll give you free everything. Just come to a game. Just be, warm a seat, you know, just so that when the cameras scan the crowd, it's not just a bunch of empty seats, right? Come on out, right? And so like here was Nashville, like at, at one point, begging people to come. Hey, come, come do this. Come be a part of this. Come be, let's make this thing into Hockey City. Well, fast forward to today, and you're going to have 18,000 people going crazy, right? 100,000 people down broad, right? And so, you, you, like, what was not a hockey city has become a hockey, where everyone except Catfish is on the bandwagon, right? They're trying to get back off the wagon into the river, right? Uh, but everybody's on board. We're like, yes, go Prez. We're on. We're hogging. What was once, I mean, we're in the dirty south, right? And so we were a football-minded city. So we went from a football-minded city in 98 to transitioning to today, in which Nashville was one of the hottest hockey cities in the nation, right? Which is nuts, right? You didn't think hockey would be cool in Nashville, but here we are, a hockey city. And so we had to learn how to be a hockey city. Uh, transition to our text for today, very similar in that the Israelites, remember their story. God 
moved, uh, they, they were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. God moved by 10 plagues to bust up Egypt and then got them to the Red Sea and God split open the Red Sea. God's people walked through on dry ground. The sea closes up over the Egyptian army and here are the people of God free on the other side and, and, and walking towards the promised land. And, and here are a people who only knew slavery. They didn't know freedom. They didn't know what it was like to be God's people. They just knew slavery. And so now God is in this, um, taking this moment in their life to begin to teach them how to be God's people. And if that's a bottom line or kind of an overarching theme of today, it's that God is teaching them how to be God's people. And I want to argue that he's doing that for us as well. There are things that we go through in life. There are things both... Uh, uh, mountaintops and valleys of life and all of it is uh, being used by God to teach us how to be his people, to teach us how to be the people of God, to teach us how to live like Jesus lived, to walk as he walked. And all of that is, is, is working in our lives. It's working in the Israelites' lives and it's working in our lives as well. And that's really what we're going to talk about today because uh, obviously you had God saving them in a moment. They, they were saved in a moment, but the rest of their life was training them to be his children. This happens in our life too. We are saved in a moment. Salvation is in an instant, but sanctification or walking like Jesus, becoming more like Jesus, being more and more, uh, our lives looking more and more like Jesus' life, that's called sanctification. Our sanctification takes a lifetime. And so we were saved in a moment, sanctification, a lifetime. And so we're walking this journey now. If you are, in fact, saved, you are now on this journey of becoming more and more like Jesus. And it's not going to be accomplished overnight. It takes, it takes a lifetime. And so that's what we're going to see as we kind of uh, watch the, the Israelite story uh, unfold here. And, and, and really, their story is our story, too, in, 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 in the fact that that they're going to be sanctified, they're, they're going to be, uh, they're moving towards the promised land or what would be a glorification for us. And so we're going to see that and, and it's going to have a lot of parallels uh, for our life. And I, I think encouraging to us, I hope this message is encouraging to you because uh, we have struggles. We, 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 we still struggle with flesh and sin. We are not there yet. We are not in heaven yet. None of us are perfect yet. No, no matter if you've been a believer, no, no matter if you've been a believer for a year or you've been a believer for 60 years, it doesn't matter. We're all still working out uh, sin out of our lives, working to become like Jesus. And so there should be an encouragement for us to say, okay, yes, I can keep going. I'm going to keep moving. I'm going to keep uh, looking like Christ and, and, and moving and being sanctified and looking like the Son. So that's where we're at. And again, 16 and 17, I'm going to direct you to where we're going because we're going to skip some. Uh, but uh, let, let's dive in. Verses 1 through 3 of chapter 16. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out here into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. All right. So last week, towards the end of the message, we saw... 
Uh, first of all, Israel, the, all, of, all of chapter 15 was Israelites breaking out in song. They, they're breaking out in tambourines. They're worshiping so passionate. It make, it make Baptists more nervous than a nun on her honeymoon, right? And, uh, and so then, so they're, they're passionate. They're worshiping. They're getting after it. And then three days later, they don't have any water. So they start flipping out, right? They start, they start saying unto God, God, where are you? Thought you loved us. You don't love us. You're not taking care of us. You're not fulfilling the promises that you said you would, you would fulfill. And so they start grumbling. They start complaining. And, and their, their praising turned to pouting. Like, like they had gotten spiritual amnesia. They had forgotten that, hey, God can split a sea. He can provide water, right? And so they've forgotten all this. And, and, and so uh, they get to this point. They're grumbling. And what does God do? Because uh, for us, here they are, chapter 16, all, they known, all, they, all they've known is slavery, right? That's all they've known. They, they get out of slavery, and we expect them to act different than slaves, right? We expect them to act different than slaves. Uh, but we can have some compassion on them knowing that all they've ever known is slavery. All they've ever known is oppression. All they've ever known is doing what someone else has told them to do that they don't want to do. All they've known is begging for food from their masters. And so they get out here and they don't have any food. They start freaking out, right? And, and, and a lot of us will read the Bible and we say, you dumb Israelites, why? Are you? But dude, they didn't have food. Okay, imagine that our country goes bare on food. It's, we're going to freak out. We're going to be, there's going to be looting. There's going to be, it's going to be complete anarchy, right? If we know that Chili's has run out of chicken fingers, we're, we're, we're done. We're like, we're freaking out, man, right? And, and so that's what they're doing because they had no food. They're going to die. They, they see the end of the food supply and it's not looking good. Their kids are facing starvation, so yes, a little freak out is normal, right? It, it, it's to be expected. And uh, I think this is good for us to see um, in, in a certain way because um, a lot of times we, th these Israelites, they're wandering in the wilderness of sin, which is appropriate, I think. Uh, no real uh, spiritual significance, but I think it's appropriate that it's called sin. But, cause, so they're out here wandering and they're like, God, uh, where are you? You're not showing up. You, you have abandoned us. We're hungry. We need food. You, you brought us out here to die. We had pot roast in Egypt. We don't have pot roast now. What are you doing? But we do this, don't we? I mean, we do this. We say, okay, God, I had a job and I've lost it. I've got more bills than I do paycheck. My kids are gone buck wild. I, I, God, where are you? I thought you were going to take care of me. I thought you loved me. I, my marriage is falling apart. Where are you? We do the same thing. We walk uh, in a wilderness. A lot of time in our life, uh, uh, we walk in a wilderness of sin. And I want to encourage you because God is sovereignly putting them through the wilderness for their own good. And we're going to see that. But one quote I want to read you, Timothy Keller Tim Keller says this, and it's similar to a quote I read last week, but it says, you can get people out of slavery in an instant, but it takes a lifetime to get the slavery out of the people. And this is exactly what God is doing. He's putting them in the wilderness to get the slavery out of his people. 
This is what he's doing for you, possibly. You might be in a wilderness of sorts. Maybe it's a health thing. Maybe it's a kid. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's financial, but it's a wilderness of sorts. And God may be putting you through that to get the slavery out of you, to get the slavery out of you. I think the first point I want you to realize today is that we have to learn that we were slaves. We were slaves to sin. When we were, when we, before we became Christians, the scripture says that we were dead in sin, slave to sin, that we, that was what we loved, it's what we wanted to do. So when God uh, saves us and pulls us out of the kingdom of darkness and sets us in the kingdom of light, we are still wrestling with that old nature. We're still, it says he's made us a new creation, but we're still fighting the flesh that we have, still fighting the sin on us. So this should be encouragement to those of us who would say we're believers that said, yes, that's me. I still fight those battles. I'm still struggling with some of those old things. They didn't just disappear when I said, Jesus, come into my heart. And they all gone. It didn't happen. I'm trying to walk with God, but I'm still struggling with these old nature, old habits, old sin. Well, I want to encourage you because the very fact that you are fighting against those things is some evidence that there's Holy Spirit working in you. If you don't fight with old nature, you have no old nature, you, you, you feel like you have no sin you're fighting against, that would be warning for you to say there may not be Holy Spirit in you. But if you're fighting against old nature and old flesh and old sin, you say, I don't want to do that, and, and, and I hate it when I do do it, then you, you should be encouraged. You should be encouraged by this. And so uh, knowing where we come from is huge in getting to where God wants us to go, right? And so he's Continue to work in us. Continue to use things in our lives to get the slavery out of us. I want, I want to read to you Deuteronomy 8, 2. It says this. And it'll tell us the reason why God put them through the wilderness. It says, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40, days, 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandment or not. That he might humble you, testing you. God's putting them through here to get the slavery out of them. You, when they don't have food, they got real hangry, right? Like you've seen those Snickers commercials. They're all a bunch of Betty Whites. They're just, you know, you're not you when you're hungry kind of thing. And they're freaking out. You, you've done this, right? You, you, you get to about dinner time and dinner ain't ready yet. And you, your kids are bouncing off the wall. And you're like, everybody just, ah! Right? And maybe it's just me. But when we start getting hungry, it starts showing a different side of us. It's like we morph into like, I, I don't know, something crazy. Right? And, and, but in reality, here they are. They're facing hunger. They're facing the, the not, I mean, dying of starvation. And out of them comes what is really deep in our heart. And you see God is saying, man, I was, I was testing you to know what was in your heart. Side note, this is why we fast. If you practice the discipline of fasting, the purpose of it is for God to begin to reveal to you what is in your heart. A lot of times we drown it out with like biscuits and rolls, but when we fast, out of us comes what is really in our heart. And, and we're able to deal with it. We say, okay, that's in me. I see that. That's the, okay. I need to deal with that. And, and that's a good, good practice. If you don't, if you've never fasted like that and you can health-wise, then I, I encourage you. It's a great discipline for God to just continue to bring the slavery out of your heart, to show you what is deep in your, deep in your heart. And so he, here you have the people of God 
they are, they're, they're, in, they're, they're on their way to the promised land. Justification is in an instant. Sanctification is for the whole journey, the lifetime. And, and they find themselves in, in the wilderness and, 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 and they begin to question. Now, I want, I want to be clear here because I think it's okay to question God. Uh, and by question God, what I mean is to say to God, God, why are you doing, what is your purpose for putting me through this wilderness? What is your purpose in, in, in this? Why am I going through this with my marriage? Why is my kids doing this? Why is my money situation? Like why, 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 God? What is your purpose in that? Now, where the Israelites messed up is that their questioning turned to grumbling or complaining. They took their questions and began to accuse God of evil. And so they said, God, you don't love us. You don't care about us. You you have lied to us. You've brought us out here to kill us. You see the difference? A questioning of God with pure motives, just saying, why? Why are you putting me through this? It's, it's wanting answers from God that he can give you through his word or through the time with him or, through, or just time, perspective, or through prayer. That you, you begin to question God in, in, in hopes that uh, you begin to trust him more. You can use those questionings to begin to say, I want to depend more. I want to trust more. To help my unfaithful heart to be faithful to you. But when you begin to accuse God or, or or grumble against God or complain against God. That's when it leads to bitterness. That's when it leads to just really just dangerous things for your heart to embrace, for your heart to be a part of. And so, uh, th- and that's where these people have, have gone. They begin to, to question God like that and, uh, in the wilderness. And listen, no, no one likes the wilderness. The wilderness is the wilderness, right? We're all going to go through some period of time where we're in a wilderness. No one likes it. Right. And so what do you do in the middle of it shows a lot about what God is doing in you. Uh, these Israelites, they felt God had paved the way for them all the way up into the desert. They begin to feel entitled to God for them snapping a finger and God meeting their every need. But God began to say, no, 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 you got to learn to trust me. You got to learn to depend upon me daily. You got to learn to depend upon me for all your needs. Right. Uh, and, and so uh, th- they begin to flip off the handle. And and God says, this is why I did that, to show you what was in your heart. Because when you go through a little hard time, nothing reveals what's in your heart more than a little bit of trial. A little a little bit of hard time that really reveals where you are spiritually it begins to flesh out. Hey, OK, maybe I'm not where I thought I was. All right. Let, let's read on. I'm, I'm going to read verse four and five of chapter 16, and then we'll read verse 35 of chapter 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. Verse 35. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan, which is the promised land. All right. Second point I want you to get today is this, is that we have to learn who God is. We have to learn who God is. So God tells Moses, I'm going to rain down manna on you for 40 years, right? Manna uh, in the scripture, it's just interpreted as what is it? Right. So the word manna means what is it? It's the ultimate like who's on first. It's like, what is it? Yeah. What is it? 
yeah, oh, yeah, that's my question. What is it, right? Then they're going back and forth. And so here you have God taking care of them, raining down bread on them for, for, for 40 years, right? And, 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 and you have a people that is, um, continues to grumble, continues to complain, continues to be ungrateful, continues all this kind of stuff. It's like we understand this with our kids best, right? Let, let's say you buy your kid a new game system. Of sorts, and it was the wrong one. Let's say you bought them a PlayStation, they wanted an Xbox. And they're like, ah, I really wanted the Xbox. Then you say, I'm gonna take this game and put it through your system, right? But look, this is not how God, this is how we would respond, right? But that's not how God responds. And it's important for us to learn who God is. God responds again, patience, compassion, and love. He, he, his answer to them griping and complaining is that he feeds them. For 40 years, he rains down food on them, rains down manna on them from, from heaven. So thankfully, God is faithful in the middle of their fickleness. Thankfully, God is taking care of them even when they grumble and complain. Thankfully, God is, uh, God's promises aren't dictated by our behavior. Thankfully, and that's true for us too, that God's promises are not dictated by our behavior, that he has promised some things to us through Christ and we just lean in and trust him. We lean in and, and, and into his promises that he has, he has made to us, right? And so here's God raining down food for 40 years. He, he's, he's taking care of them. Now, now I want to remind you because the Israelites, and I'm, I'm preaching ahead a little bit here, but the Israelites are about to, we're, we're not far from the chapter in which they fashion for themselves a golden calf to worship. They, you know, maybe it's because they came out of Egypt, all these pagan idol gods, they want an image of God, so they try to make them into this cow, it's made this cow out of gold, and they begin to worship this, this cow. You know what God did the morning that they made that cow? He rained down manna. He fed them. You know what he did the day after? They bowed to a golden cow. He rained down manna. He fed them. God is faithful, even when we're not. And that's huge for us, because we are not a lot. So it's huge for us to see who God is, that he's faithful to his promises. He's faithful to his people. And even though uh, these people rebelled over and over and over again, God continued to be faithful. But he still disciplined his people. And that's a, a, the third point I want you to get is that we have to learn obedience through discipline. We, we learn obedience through discipline. Now, Yes, they rebelled it, but God disciplined their rebellion. You know, the day that they uh, made the golden calf, God killed 3,000 of them that day. 3,000. Now, we're going to read a verse later that says God did not unleash his full wrath. So even in him only killing 3,000 is his grace and mercy. Because they deserve for everyone to be wiped out. But he didn't do it. See, here's God who's who's complete love and complete wrath at the same time. He's righteous and he's gracious. He's all things that are true and all things that are loving simultaneously. 
So in order to get us to be his people and to live like God's people, he brings discipline upon his children. All good parents bring discipline to their kids, right? If my son is running out into the road, I'm going to discipline him. Why? Because my discipline is better than him being mangled by a truck. So I discipline him for his good. I don't want him to die in the road, so I discipline him so he'll stay out of the road. I don't know why just naturally I go to discipline my son when I tell these stories, but I guess that's just what it is. My daughter wouldn't do that, right? Uh, but a good parent, you see a kid who's out of control, most likely they're not being disciplined. A good parent disciplines their children. Why? Because it's for their own good. It's for their own good. And so God disciplines his children the same way. And so this killing of 3,000 was a discipline of his children to say, hey, that's not what it, like, what it looks like to love me. That's not what it looks like to be my people. Come back to me. And so he begins to discipline them to show them what it's like to, 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 to uh, be his people. And so, so he's beginning to get, still getting the slavery out of their heart getting the slavery out of their lives. They, they got to stop thinking like slaves. They got to stop living like slaves. They got to stop behaving like slaves. They got to start living like, believing like, uh, 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 like children, the children of God. And that's what you have going here as well. And o o obedience is huge for our sanctification. Obedience is huge. We, we have to learn obedience to God. Like a lot of times somebody will say to me, I don't know why this is happening. I don't know why this is happening. I don't know why this is happening. And my, a couple of my first responses is, okay, tell me, are you reading the Bible? Well, no. Okay, are you praying? Well, no. Okay, so you're wondering why you feel far from God. He has made a way for us to be intimate with him through disciplines, through reading the Bible and prayer, fasting, uh, serving, uh, worshiping together. Uh, being generous. He's giving all these things as a way to be obedient to him. And so obedience is, uh, obedience to the commands of God are hugely important for our sanctification, right? It's hugely important for our sanctification. And some of you say, well, I don't know why I'm in the wilderness. Okay. Has God called you to do something you're not doing? Has he called you to do something you're not doing? If he's called you to do something you're not doing, that is disobedience. And a good father brings discipline upon disobedience. If you are a child of God, father, the father will bring discipline on disobedience. That's, that's what a good father does. And so are you doing something in disobedience to the father? I think it's a good question for all of us to ask. Is there something God has called us to that, that we, we haven't done? Now, now, again, we play a part in our sanctification. It's, a, it's kind of a passive part in that it is a clinging to God through prayer and through the word and through fasting and through obedience. It's a clinging to him, but it's still a part nonetheless. And so that's why the scripture says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It, it, it gives a, a onus on us to say, okay, uh, uh, I'm clinging to God. I'm working this out. I want him. I'm, 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 I'm being obedient. I'm, I'm seeing uh, if I am in Christ or not. And it's a constant uh, uh, working towards our sanctification and constant coming to the scriptures and knowing the truths of God. Now, I, want, I want to read this to you. This is John 6. John chapter 6, verse 32 and 35. It says, this is Jesus talking. It says, Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. 
For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. All of the Old Testament is about Jesus. All of it is pointing to Jesus. None, I think, greater than the Exodus story. All of the Passover is a foreshadowing and symbolic of the cross and how men are saved. The journey of the Israelites is our journey. They are saved by, they are slaves to Egypt. We're slaves to sin. They're saved by, the, by a miracle from God. We're saved by a miracle from God. We're walked out of our old life into freedom. We are walked out of our old life into freedom. Uh, we have a journey of sanctification that, uh, that is ahead of us before we reach a promised land, just like the Israelites. And so all of this uh, Old Testament story is pointing to Jesus. And so Jesus uh, affirms that when he says, hey, that manna that was rained down, that was rained down by my father, but really it's all pointing to me because I am the bread of life. I am the, the bread of life that you should feast upon daily. I am the way in which you have spiritual nourishment. And I think that's the, the fourth point I want us to know is that we must learn to be nourished by Jesus daily. We must learn to be nourished by Jesus daily. Uh, I know the temptation for us, it's difficult for us. There's all things working against us of having a daily relationship with God, a daily time of prayer, a daily time of reading our Bibles. I know we're busy. We, you know, we will have a kid that's sick. We'll, you know, we'll have to watch the Preds game. We'll have, we'll have, everything will come up that'll keep us from a daily walk with Him. But you see the importance here, right? If we compare it to the manna story, the people of God would go out and they would pick up manna. Now, if they picked up too much, it would be molded the next day. You couldn't eat it, right? But on Friday, the day before their Sabbath, Saturday, they would pick up twice as much as they needed and it, it would not mold. God would providing for them. I think it's a good lesson for us to say that today's manna, today's nourishment is not sufficient for tomorrow. The scripture says to say to us that his mercies are new every day. His mercies are new every day. So we are to seek out those mercies. We're to seek out that relationship with him every day. We're to be uh, having some personal worship with him every day. Like if we don't, we begin to drift. We begin to forget, right? When you sleep, I, when I sleep, I can't remember what I had for lunch the next day let alone the promises that God has been making to me or what he's been doing in my heart. So that's why it's important for me to say, okay, new day, new mercies are new for me today. I'm going to sit down with scriptures in, in the presence of God every day, feasting upon him, letting him nourish us. He is the daily bread for us, right? And, and so, so I think it's a good, good reminder to us. We, we can't be just dependent upon, you know, our grandmama's faith, we can't be dependent upon uh, just old time. We, we, we can't be dependent upon just Sunday to Sunday, right? We, we, we have to come to God on a daily basis. He woke you up this morning. He wants you to know him. He woke you up. He wants you to get closer to him. He woke you up. He wants you today to fight that slavery out of your heart a little more today. 
It's that sanctification process. It's a daily grind. It, and it doesn't stop until we die. It's a daily grind. To, and that's what sanctification is. Every day making us look like Christ. Okay, let's read uh, chapter 17, verse 1 through 6. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? What, why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, I love this, what shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? This is kind of like Groundhog's Day, isn't it? <laughs> You're reading this thing, it's just, again? Are you kidding? Didn't they, you're like, did, did, I thought I read this chapter already, right? They're doing it again. They're, they're grumbling again. They don't have water. Moses uh, names the place Massa, which means to test God. They, they're actually testing God. They're, they're putting God on trial. They're about to stone Moses. This is a fickle people. And, and you're like, seriously? What is wrong with y'all? Like, get it, get it together. But remember, again, this is, this is our story. We so often do this. We're so often fickle. Forget. We so often neglect to remember the faithfulness of God. We, we begin to blame God for our situation, and we forget that he's for us. We forget the promises that he's made. In the New Testament where it says, uh, for the, I, I will work to the good of those who love me. It doesn't say I will work. It doesn't say I will, I will give them good. It said I will work all things for the good of those who love me. It may not be good. It may not be a good situation, but it will work for our good. So we often come at God, though, grumbling and complaining. We forget, just like, just like the people here. And we're going to continue to struggle with our sin and our slavery for the rest of our life. We're continuing the battle of the old flesh, the battle of sin. And so when we do that, when we're fighting that battle, we've got to remember the faithfulness of God, not turn against him. He's for us. We've got to remember and fall upon him and trust him in his faithfulness. I want to read to you Psalm 78, which is a, uh, really just a commentary of this Exodus story. Verse 37 and 38, their heart was not steadfast toward him. They were not faithful to his covenant. Yet he, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up all his wrath. 
This is a commentary on, on Exodus, right? The psalmist is talking about the story. He's telling, hey, they're fickle, they're unfaithful, but God remains steady. He remains faithful. He doesn't pour out on them all of his wrath. He disciplines them, but he doesn't extinguish them, which they deserved. And so, given, given commentary, again, this is us. This is us, and we, we are fickle, and we have to continue to be thankful to God that he is patient with us, that he's kind to us. And in his patience, the kind, you know, the New Testament said that it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. So in his patience and kindness, that is meant for us to continue to walk with him and turn back to him, away from our old slavery and turn back to him. He's patient. He's good. He's faithful. He's kind. He's loving. This is who God is. And then the last point I want you to get today is that we must learn that our security is in Christ, our rock. We must learn that our security is in Christ, our rock. Uh, Christ is referred to throughout the scripture as a rock. He is the stone that the builders rejected. Uh, the, the confession of Christ is the rock on which the church will be built on and will not fall. Right Later, he says, um, in, um, when he's talking about his commandments, he says, build your house on this rock. Jesus is the rock. And, and I love, uh, uh, because if you look at 1 Corinthians 10, he alludes to himself as being the particular rock that Moses hits, that Moses hits and water shoots from. So he's the, the, uh, the rock that gives water to us, living water to us. I think this is important to us because as we uh, battle life, as we are in the wilderness of life, we can start to think about all the stresses and all the temptations and all the things we don't have. But instead, Christ says, hey, put your hope on the rock. The rock, the truths that I have said, the, the promise of future glory, the promise that you are going to live with God forever and eternity without sin. I can't wait for that. I can't wait for the day that we can gather together and there'll be no sin in our presence. No more struggle with, with old self. No more struggle with the old temptations. No, no more fight. We live by the light of Christ forever in glory without sin, singing his praises, living entirely for him. This is the rock that we put our hope, our security in. Everything else we're leaving behind. All the money you're saving in your retirement funds, that's going to be great for your kids. Everything you're doing, it's going to be left behind. Our hope and security is found in Christ and in Christ alone for forever. That's what God was instilling in his people in the wilderness. He was saying to them, I'm going to be your God. I'm going to be your God. I, you will be with me forever. I am your God. And it's the same thing he's instilling to us today. He's saying to you, yes, you're fickle, but I'm faithful. You are my son. You are my daughter. 
I'm going to not leave you nor forsake you. I will walk with you through the hard times in the wilderness. And when you fall, yes, I will bring discipline, but it'll be discipline because I love you and because I want good. I want your good. I want you to be like my son Jesus. I want you to walk as he walked because I want you to get the end of your life and for me to be able to say over you, well done, good and faithful servant. Come into my kingdom. So I'm for your soul. God is for your soul. And he is the rock, our security. And we are collectively still every day is a process of stepping into that, trusting that, believing that, owning that. And God is walking with us every day to make us more like Jesus, to sanctify us and make us more like him. That's the process. That's the journey. Justification, your salvation happens in an instant. Your sanctification happens over the rest of your life. You're becoming more and more like Jesus every day. Daily bread, living water every single day until you die when you are glorified and you're with the Father, free from sin forever. That's the salvation process for us. Continue to step into your sanctification. You play a part. Trust the Lord. Read the scriptures daily. Step into a personal worship time with him daily. It's where life is found. Let me pray for us. Jesus, this is all about you. And uh, I love that the Old Testament is pointing to you and everything. Is about you. Even, even the scripture says, um, in you all things have their life. You, you are fashioning all things for your name's sake and your glory's sake. I pray, God, for this church. God, would you help us to trust you more? We are fickle. We praise you that you are faithful. God, I praise you that your promises aren't dictated by our behavior, but your promises are dictated by Christ's behavior. And Father, that you have laid out for us a way to know you, to be saved by you, but also to begin to walk with you day in, day out, so that you can begin to pull out the slavery from our hearts so we can be like you. I pray for our church, God. I pray that we would fight the good fight. Fight the good fight of faith, Father. I pray that there's probably someone in here, God, who has given up. They don't feel like fighting anymore. They just want to embrace the old. I pray, God, that you would restore unto them the joy of their salvation. I pray, God, that you would move in their heart in a mighty way to begin to show them how faithful you are and how the wilderness and the hard things of life are for our good. And God, help us to trust you. Help us to trust you so much that we see the need to, to eat the daily bread, just that daily. Move in us in a mighty way, God, to know you and, and so that you can continue to deal with us on a regular basis. We love you and we need you, God. 
pray all these things in the name of Christ. Amen.